Hello and welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast with me, your host, Fabio Molle. Every week I speak to the big hitters in the world of tennis, both on and off the court, about the game and how we can all get 1% better every day at what we do. As an ex-national team player, I know exactly how tough this can be. So I'm on a journey to get the very best tips and advice from the world of tennis. Last week on the podcast, I talked to Belgian coach Olivier Renard. In our conversation, Olivier told me how his tennis story began. Olivier describes his coaching role in China. And we also discussed some of the cultural differences between juniors in Europe and juniors in Asia. It's a great show. So go back and check it out after this episode. This week on the podcast, I meet Dr. Dario Novak. Dario is currently Associate Professor at the University of Zagreb, and he's at the cutting edge of sports science. In the past, he's worked with top players such as Donna Vekic, Christina McHale, Marta Kostic, and more. More recently, Dario worked with the 2022 Wimbledon champion, Elena Rabakina, and he's currently on the coaching team for Stan Bravinka, who is, of course, a three-time Grand Slam champion. In our conversation, Dario details what Donna Vekic and Borna Korge were like as juniors. I asked Dario about his work with Stan Vinka and Elena Ribikina. We also speak extensively about Dario's research into what makes a tennis great, and that's what his next PhD research paper will be on. Before that, let's learn what Dario's exact role in tennis is. Dario, hello and welcome to Functional Tennis Podcast. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much, Fabio, for the invitation. I'm really privileged to be a part of this great podcast. I know I've had you, I've, I bookmark certain guests throughout the year. I was like, I must reach out to them at some stage to get them on. Yours has been sitting there for a while. We were on a bit of a break last year, so I'm glad that uh, you responded. Timely matter, we got you on board. But how about we kick this off? You tell us exactly what you do in the world of tennis. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I've been involved in tennis since I know for, for myself, basically. I, I, played my, I played tennis myself competitively. But then, in, 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 you know, in Croatia, it's, it's completely different education system. It, it's not like U.S. that you can, you know, once you start your master or when, once you started to, to, to do the university degree. Unfortunately, here in, in Croatia, you have to choose between the education or sport. So you cannot kind of go with both. So at that time, I decided to, to keep my education. So I finished my master degree here at the University of Zagreb, Faculty of Kinesiology. Did, did my PhD and started to work as a, as a professor at the university. But because, you know, I'm a tennis player myself, I, I wanted to stay in tennis, you know, for somehow. And, and to be a tennis coach, it, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of time to, you know, to it, it, basically it's very difficult to keep the university job uh, and being a tennis coach. So I was lucky enough at that time, I'm talking, you know, about the period 15, 20 years ago, I was lucky enough to start the strength and conditioning uh, with uh, some tennis players, with one little group of uh, prospective uh, tennis players here in Croatia. And I was lucky enough that the part of that group was uh, Dona Vekic, Borna Cioric, um, you know, all the you know, famous Croatian players now, but at that time they were like 11, 12. And since then, basically, I, I stayed in tennis as a strength conditioning coach. And I'm working only with tennis players since then, and I'm trying to, you know, to kind of uh, to bridge the gap between the uh, the theory and practice because I believe in, in in our sport of tennis, 
We have on one side people who are very practical. I'm talking about the coaches. And on the other side, we have researchers, you know, university professors, but I believe there's no link. So basically what I'm trying to do for the last 15, 20 years is to bridge this link between the theory and practice. So that's kind of a little background of, of me in tennis. Well, yeah, it's, it's nice to combine the academic work, you know, with actually being able to work with players, which I'm interested to find out about. But tell me, Donna Vekic and Borna Courage as 11, 12-year-olds, what were they like? Were they intense? Did you think there was a pro career there for them at that early age? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, uh, for sure, they were very talented. Uh, that's, that's the first you can, you can notice. Um, they were both very competitive. Uh, with uh, you know how they approach every session, every training, every strength conditioning uh, session, um, the 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 parents were uh, very involved. But I'm saying this in a very positive way. So they were not like pushy parents. They were really uh, trying to to be the support of of their kids. So from the first moment, you will find in both of the the projects that they are very serious, both parents and the players. And obviously there was a, a bit of talent, uh, so I was really, really lucky to, you know, to start basically my mm, professional career as a strength conditioning coach with uh, those such a, you know, great characters. And obviously 20, 15, 20 years after, uh, they both were top 20 players. So it was kind of a very uh, nice for me and it was a really huge experience for me to to, to you know kind of to grow uh, as, a, as a coach with with them and to to to, to go through all these um, uh, very sensible phases in, in their development so it be, it's been very very beneficial for me now even nowadays once I you know work even with a, a more mature players but from time to time obviously I'm trying to help also some promising players from from the region. So those, uh, those um, you know, experiences are very, very beneficial to me even today. Nice. I, I don't see many tennis players, but I did see Donna Vekage last week, actually. I was uh -huh. in Monaco at the country club and she was there. Now, she didn't see me, but I knew who it was. But uh, going back to, okay, let's go back to your early days, young lad. When did you, you said you played tennis competitive level. When did you get seriously into tennis? Do you remember a day when you were like, I want to take tennis seriously, mom and dad? You... I mean, yeah, I mean, t tennis was my dad actually played tennis. I'm, I'm, I grew up in one very small city of Croatia called uh, Hvar, H-V-A-R. Um, it's uh, one very famous touristic uh, island in, in Croatia. It's a very small city, like uh, out of the season, it's like only five, six thousand of, of, of uh, people. So basically, you know, there are only a couple of sports that you can do over there. And my, my dad played tennis. Uh, and then I just, you know, as a, as a, as a kid, like at the age of six, six seven, eight, eight, I would say, I started to, to you know, to, to get in touch and get in love with, with the sport. Uh, play competitively until the age of uh, 17, 18. But then, as I said earlier, uh, you know, in Croatia, you just you have to choose be between those two. So, yeah, I mean, but also my my comp my let's say my my competitive career uh, helped me a lot to you know to understand tennis better. And even today, I, I'm I'm very lucky that I play tennis myself because I really believe in the concept that even as a strength conditioning coach, you have to understand 
the basics of the sport. You have to understand, uh, you know, the, the the specifics of the sport. Um, you know, tennis is very different than than many other sports. And if you don't understand the the, the, the background, if you don't if you don't accept the, the specifics of the sport then I believe that's only my impression that you cannot be a very successful, I'm talking now about the, the fitness part, about the strength conditioning part, you have to, 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 to be fully involved, to understand the sport, to be able to, to coach. So, um, yeah, you know, that, that's something that, that uh, I was lucky enough to, to have this uh, tennis player background and it, it, it helps me a lot in my coaching career. And do we know any players who were your age group back in Croatia? Ivo Karlovic, was he? I'm not sure your age now. So yeah, uh, I'm I'm 40 now. Uh, he's uh, I think Ivo is a little bit older. But my generation was, for example, Mario Ancic, who was uh, from Split. He was top 10 player. Uh, I think number seven uh, won the Davis Cup at the end. Uh, uh, he played semi-finals of Wimbledon, I think. Then Mario Radic, he was also ex-professional Croatian player. So it was a pretty, pretty, uh, you know, a, a successful generation. But just a few of them made uh, the the professional tennis career. It, it's not easy. It's it's definitely not easy. And do you remember the day when you decided, okay, well, look, I am going down the education route tennis it you know i just got to make this decision was it a tough decision or was your heart always in the education side of things but i think now you know looking back i think i i, I was um kind of designed to to to, to step in more in the in the coaching career and uh, i see that now with my experience and with let's say with my education i'm ab able to reach out many uh, players and I can I, I, I'm able to to help them out through their uh, development process. So uh, I'm, I I don't regret you know with with a you know competitive career. I, I I'm just like happy today that I'm I'm able to to help out many players that that I work with. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm happy where I'm at the moment. So, yeah. So looking back, you you made the right decision. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think you could have made it as a pro? Do, do, do you think had you gone down that route, you had the dedication to go far, or not sure? Not sure. I mean, uh, now as I as I, as I said, I'm you know both in in the practical field of tennis, but also doing a lot of research. At the moment, I'm I'm doing one very interesting research. I'm trying to to define and to explore the success in tennis, and I'm interested to see what's behind the success of tennis. So I'm talking to a different um, uh, groups of players and one group of the players are uh, the ultimate champions in tennis and those are obviously the Grand Slam champions. And now I'm a little bit understanding more what's behind and how they grew up and you know how the, the, the family impact their development and what they did as a, as a, as a teenagers. So, I mean, I think I was pretty far from, from, you know, from that. So, but it's nice now to explore things and, and to learn from a different player's perspectives and, and to, you know, to use this uh, knowledge to help out young generations so they can, let's say, easily or, or you know, kind of uh, easier make a, a, a final uh, step, which is obviously a professional tennis career. Nice. And... We've a lot of parents, listeners here who have juniors who play tennis and teenagers that play tennis. From the bit of research you've done so far, speaking to these slam champions, is there anything character, if any characteristics that stand out from them as teenagers that yeah, made one, them special? 
Absolutely. I mean, I'm, 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 when, when talking about this project, I'm going in a three different directions. And, and, and the first two very important directions are the specialization. So how they started, when they started, you know, how was, you know, this, those, how were their, those be, begin, beginnings of their careers? And the second very important part of our discussions are about the the environment, about the, the, the support from the family, from the clubs, from the neighborhoods, from the you know different uh, subjects that, that they were helping during their tennis careers. And when you talk to the Grand Slam champions, you will find that if if we are talking about the, the parents now, that the parents were they were there, first of all, all the time. But they were not kind of, uh, you know, too pushy. They were very involved in their uh, children's careers, but in a way that they were like one important piece of their development, but without, without stepping too much. They were not doing any like coaching or, uh, you know, interfering with their uh, uh, tennis development or strength conditioning development. They were just like there, they were like doing a lot of support, especially from the family side. And, you know, they were like very, very uh, strong uh, uh, wall or very s- s- uh, strong support to, 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 to their children's careers. So uh, obviously, you know, parents are very, very important. It's just, it's just not just the talent. It's also a lot of other things. And the family involvement and the family support in, is one of those key factors to success. And did most of them move away from home? Well, yeah, this is a good question. I mean, um, some yes, some no. Uh, it was interesting to, uh, to, to notice that many of the great champions grew up uh, not in a super big cities, not in a super small, but just the medium size, the mid-size uh, uh, cities because you know they were like uh, easy access to tennis but also to a different sports because if you analyze as i said we talked about their uh, beginnings and their specialization uh, very few of the the two top players did uh, only tennis at, at, at a very uh, early age they were doing kind of a you know tennis was there was very important to them but they were also doing a let's say many different other activities and different sports so they 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 did i would say some kind of the hybrid uh specialization so tennis was important it was there all the time but they were always putting something uh, on the top of tennis some other activities so they always tried to develop uh to develop their themselves in a in a many different areas so uh you know doing just tennis i think especially at the early age is not the the best a way how you want to start your professional uh, career. And looking at that information, at what age did these guys and girls decide to go, you know, full-time at tennis where there were so many hours taken up by tennis that they couldn't play the other sports? Is it yep. 12, 13, 14? Yeah, I would say, yeah, uh, analyzing the, the, the majority of those players, I would say that, that that was the case, like, you know, 12, 13, even some of them with the, at the age of 14, they started a little bit uh, more kind of a professional involvement in, in, in tennis. Uh, until then, they were like, okay, they were playing, they were practicing, but uh, you know, even up to the, the, the age of 10, 11, some of them were part of the of the you know tennis clubs groups. They were part of you know traveling together, you know, having one coach per three, four players. 
I think that's something that we are missing today. That you know, the 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 kids are not traveling as a as a team. I mean, I understand that tennis is a very individual sport, but for example, I, I now in my mind is a is a case of um, Thomas Johansson who won the Australian Open. He said at that time, probably until the end of his uh, junior career, there were a couple of great players traveling to, together with one coach. And it was Thomas Johansson. It was Magnus Norman, uh, Thomas Enquist. You know, three. Uh, at the end of, 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 of the day, three top uh, 10 players uh, later on, but they were like traveling as a Sweden team together uh, with one coach and, and they were very competitive in between themselves. And this is something that we are missing in tennis. Same case, I, I remember I talked to Albert Costa, the same, his group was Felix Mantilla, Alberto Barasategui. You know, I, I, again, unbelievable that, you know, that they were practicing for so many years together, even at, at their very early age. And they were like, you know, pushing each other. And at the end of, of their career, if we analyze their success, they were very, very successful, all of them. Uh, I think even Carlos Moya was part of the group, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, I think that's that's something that, that we are missing today that, you know, uh, you can see, you know, even at the age of 11, 12, very professional, individual uh, focus on tennis. And I really believe in, in a team spirit, in a, in a, in a team um, kind of a pushing each other through the team. So that's something that was, you know, behind those players' success. So were these players, were they the best in their age group at that age? Oh, uh, also some of them, yes. Uh, but um, the, because the, the, the major uh, aim uh, or goal of this project is to analyze, uh, for example, there are three different groups of players. So now we are talking about the Grand Slam uh, champions, but uh, one of the uh, one group of the players that I'm talking to uh, were players who were ranked between 150 and 300 ATP. So those are the players that are still Grand Slam level, but they never made the transition to top 100. And the third group of players are um, at their time, top juniors, but who never made the senior career. And then I'm trying to analyze, um, you know, those three groups. And uh, now answering to your question, where they're the top at their age. It's interesting to notice that those top juniors were unbelievably successful very at a very uh, early age. So they were like top players in their age groups. But at the end of the day, they never made a professional career. And many of, of other guys in some of the Grand Slam champions were not even the best in their age group. So they kind of, you know, developed their, their, themselves in many areas and they lasted very long. They played, some of, the, some of them played until the age of 35, 36, 37. And for example, the, the, the juniors that I'm talking to who never made this, the professional career, Many of them stopped at the age 20, 19, 21. So they made a huge success, you know, very early. A lot of tennis, a lot of uh, hours on court. Obviously, great success at the age of 12, 14, 18. But then, you know, a couple more years, they stopped playing tennis professionally. So I'm really looking forward to publish a couple of professional, a couple of scientific articles from this research, and even I'm planning also to publish a book next year, because I really want, uh, uh, especially parents, uh, but also coaches and 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 uh, and some players to understand the the career paths of different 
players of different success to be able to, you know, to understand what's behind their success and how they, you know, put things together, especially when they were growing up and, you know, what they were doing at that time, how they, you know, um, develop themselves as a, as a top players. That's, I think, that's going to be a very huge, I think, benefit to the tennis community. Yeah, no, I think that's very interesting. And my point I was trying to get to is success at an early age does not mean anything. And it can often lead to success at an early age and that's as high as it gets. So you put a lot of pressure on yourself and then there's burnout and all sorts. So that's going to be really interesting. And is there maybe three characteristics or even two that stand out from players who've gone on to win in Grand Slams? Like if you're taking the overview look at mm-hmm. your data is there something that sticks out that these kids had at an early age that mm-hmm. the others who didn't don't have yeah uh well i would put um at the first uh, as a first characteristic that stand out from when you talk to those guys you know one thing you we will notice uh, in every uh, uh, uh every one of them discipline you know you know you have to to to, to stay disciplined, you know, since the early age in, in, in every aspect of your tennis career, you have to dis- to be disciplined on, on, on the court, off the court. You have to, uh, to be disciplined at the school. You, you know, you just, they are very, very disciplined and very kind of uh, uh, organized in, in, in their uh, tennis careers. Um, and then if I, if I have to put one other thing is that uh, the mentality. Uh, mentality, I would say, always wins at the end of the day. Because, you know, I, I talk to those uh, people for a couple of hours about their careers, uh, you know, about their development. But, you know, after the interview, you know, you realize that nobody's talking about forehands and backhands. You know, nobody's saying, like, because my serve was such an un- unbelievable shot, I made a couple of, of grand slams. I mean, it's it, it just they talked about you know the the you know mentality about the, the discipline about the attitude about uh, their family support so yeah mentality at the end always wins i think that's going to be the title of the book I, in, in, if you ask me now listen to dario here really reminds me of something a coach once said to me there are loads of junior players that have the talent to go pro but very few have the mentality players can get unlucky with injuries or they might not come from the best environment to have a great junior career but what all the elite players share aren't physical characteristics it's the psychology of a champion that makes them special did you know we have over 170 great episodes with coaches players trainers and experts working at the highest level of the game tap the subscribe button on your podcast app so you don't miss out on the latest episodes of the podcast and to listen to our great back catalog of episodes with the biggest game changers in tennis go to functionaltennispodcast.com this is just a quick reminder you're listening to functional tennis the podcast that helps you get one percent better every day with me fabio molly Coming up on the podcast, Dario tells me about his work with Stan Wawrinka and Elena Rubikina. And I asked Dario, what are some of the latest tennis training techniques he's aware of that top players are using now? But first, I wanted to ask Dario how important rootless determination is in becoming a champion. Last week, I was lucky to hear I didn't spend time with a specific player, but I was around their team and they were telling me, you know, their single focus is to become, let's say, number one in the world. And every decision revolves around that and it's cutthroat you know you can't mm. make a I'm sure you know probably more than me you can't take a foot wrong everything every decision is will it get me to number one in the world and it's just the level of focus on that goal is amazing 
And it's bad as well. It can come off as rude on one end and it come off as the kids so determined at another end. Yeah. Do all the players have that rootless determination or is it just some of them have it and some have enough skill? They have something else that the other doesn't have. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the, the, the skill is not important. You know, obviously, you know, if you analyze and, and there are experts who are working in a, in a technical part of tennis, Tech, tactical part of tennis. I mean, there are, of course, big differences also in, in strokes, in shots, and in in a different aspects of the game. But but again, I mean, talking to to you know to to, to the ultimate champions, you will find that you know it's more uh, about their uh, psychological or mental characteristics. You know, as you said, determination, discipline. You know, love to compete. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, in tennis, we all know, I mean, there are statistics and you are losing a lot in tennis. You know, it's even top players like 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 Roger or Nadal or Novak, they, 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 they have like, you know, a lot of uh, defeats and a lot of points that they are losing even half and half. It's it's somewhere somewhere there. So, uh, you know, some that, that's, you know, that's the, 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 the case in tennis. You have to, you know, to, to you, you, you need to 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 compete every single day, you, 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 you're going to lose a lot. You have to, to, to accept that. So at the end of the day, you know, you have to enjoy the competition and then you have to take the best from the defeat and then to improve yourself. There's next week, there's a next tournament, there's a next season. You can always, you know, become better. So I think that's the beauty of tennis. You know, there's always next chance, next opportunity, and you just have to, you know, to take uh, the the best from from the the week uh, from the tournament from the wins and 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 uh, defeats and then you just keep going with the mind clear and being positive as as much as possible. Yeah, it's definitely you know it can be intimidating being around these people as well when you know the focus is so high and they won't let anything get in the way. It's absolutely crazy. Uh, when will this paper be released? When do you plan to finish it? Well, very soon. Very soon. We we have like a couple of, of papers already, uh, almost already there, already already uh, close to the uh, end 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 point. So I, I hope in the next month of or two we are going to to start publishing uh, a couple of them. So yeah, I'll I'll, I'll hope you know there there were like there will be people who would be interested to read it and most importantly to implement some of the findings in their uh, tennis careers. Definitely, it's going to be exciting. And moving on to today, you say you're working with, you've been working with Stan Vavrinka for the past year. You're also working with Rubikina also? Yeah, I, I spent two years almost with uh, Elena, last two years. So it was also pretty successful with a Wimbledon uh, win on 2022. So yeah, it was, I was with Elena for two years and now for the last um, almost a year with, with Stan. So uh, two questions for them. One is, obviously, you base yourself a lot out of home. Uh, and two is, what exactly work, you obviously don't go into specifics here, but what's the overview of your work with them? And how do you work with them from being based in, in your office? Do you travel out to them a few times of the year? Do you have somebody mm -hmm. implementing the work for you? How does it all work? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, they, obviously they are professional players, so they play a lot of uh, tournaments over the year. Uh, pretty much the same was with Elena and now with, with Stan. Uh, since they are playing a lot of tournaments, we always try to 
to have a couple of uh, building up blocks. So during the year, I would say, you know, three to four times per year to have a really a good training blocks. Now I'm talking training blocks, you know, focusing on the on the strength conditioning part. Uh, and one of the important parts of, um, of their preparation is the off season. So at the end of the, of the year, I would say six to seven weeks, uh, uh, November and December, that would be the time to focus on, on progression, especially in the area of, of strength conditioning, to work on the, the weaknesses, to improve the, the, the strength. Uh, the strengths of, of, of their fitness. So yeah, that's something like how we structure the, the work around those uh, building uh, up blocks during the year and then the off season. So that's kind of a approach that we have uh, with a professional that I have with a professional athletes. And do you meet do you meet them or do you have it to have a trainer working with them as well? How do you like? Are you just the architect of the training plan? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm individually involved in, 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 in I'm, if I'm talking now uh, about Stan, I'm, I'm, I'm individually involved in those sessions uh, because, you know, Stan was always doing uh, the same. You know, once he's on the tournament, he's focusing on, on his tennis. So it's more tennis and uh, some preventive stuff, but more or less he's focused on tennis, on the competition. But then once there is uh, some, you know, there are some days in between the tournaments, or even if we have a little bit more time to work on the fitness, then then I'm jumping in and then, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm doing the work with him. Uh, but I have to say here, and I have to mention um, uh, the Pierre, uh, Pierre big, star of, 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 of our team is Pierre Paganini, uh, famous um, strength conditioning coach who was working with Stan since he was very young. Uh, um, even now he's involved there. He's the art architecture of, of, of uh, the plans for his fitness development. And he's also the one who worked with, uh, uh, with uh, Roger Federer almost for the all of his career so i'm very lucky that i'm able to to be a part of the team where pierre paganini is uh involved and in charge for fitness development of stan and i'm you know privileged to be able to learn from from the expert like, like himself nice uh lately we've been i well i've been testing personally some the desmotech equipment i'm not sure if you're aware of it the inertial training devices okay and I've been told that, look, Nadal was using these devices 10 years ago. Some mm -hmm. of the soccer teams were using them 10 years ago. And it's becoming a bit more mainstream right now. So you, players are ahead of the curve. Uh, when you're the best in the world, you get access to equipment or willing to try it. But today, is there any training methods that maybe you use today that may be ahead of the curve that most people wouldn't know about and commercially probably won't be available for a few years? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, there are a lot of uh, um, technology around. I mean, I'm fully for, for, for it. I think technology is going to be, you know, is uh, at the moment very supportive to uh, coaching. I think we as a coaches, we have to to keep in track with the modern technologies. That's always a, a good thing to, to, to have. Uh, at the same time, I believe that uh, technology cannot, uh, you know, uh, uh, cannot be the substitution for 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 the coach. I think the the, the exper ex expertise of the coach and the knowledge and the experience is go always gonna be the most important thing. But then technology can support and can you know help the whole uh, process. 
Uh, well, now you have a lot of, uh, as you know, I started to use recently, for example, the the VR technology. You know, that, that's something that I think it, that's the future, the cognitive training. Uh, you know, tennis is very cognitive sport. So uh, I think we, uh, over the years, we forgot, we, we, we forgot about, uh, you know, the, the brain, about uh, the, the, the cognitive work. We are focusing, me, for example, as a strength conditioning coach, I'm focused on the body. Tennis coaches are focusing on the shots, but then, you know, the, the brain is the, the, the central part of everything. So I think that's the, the future. Um, also, the, the, the loading uh, devices, you know, that could help us to track the load. Uh, that's something that's been heavily in, in, in other sports uh, like soccer, basketball, American football. I think the tennis in terms of the, the, the loading, uh, in terms of, in general, you know, the technology uh, in, involvement is still behind those top sports, like I mentioned before, like basketball, soccer. So I think we still have to, you know, to bridge this gap. But yeah, technology for sure can help us to be a better uh, coaches and, and at the end of the day, to make a better decision. I think that's very important. And do you sense arena? Actually, I just started, uh, I, I got uh, a, a device uh, from Sensorina. Uh, to be honest, I, 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 still, uh, I'm, I still didn't try uh, the device, but, but for sure I would, I would love to, to try and to see how we can explore uh, the VR technology uh, in tennis. Especially, I'm, I'm now planning one little research with my students here at the university to see how the VR technology can potentially help us to teach tennis, uh, especially to the beginners, to the student beginners. So uh, hopefully, yeah, soon we will have more information about uh, the potential benefit of, of, of VR technology in tennis. And how would, let's say, Stan was to use that device? Is it, would you test this device and you're really happy with it? And then you go to Stan and say, Stan, I found this great device. I think it's beneficial. Is that the way it works rather than just showing up with it and never test it and asking Stan to use it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would, I would, I would test everything on myself first. Uh, then I will try because I'm involved in a lot of uh, research stuff. I will try to test it out. Because, you know, especially the new things coming, coming out, they are not uh, validated, they are not tested in a scientific way. So that's why me as a researcher, as a scientist, I'm always um, trying to, you know, to use the validated uh, equipment and stuff. Uh, obviously, some things like a VR, that those are the new technologies. So, you know, there are no research on it. So we definitely need to explore more about it to be able to, to, to use it with, with especially the pro athletes. Uh, so yeah, that would be the, the path first on myself, then on doing a different research on it and then, uh, trying to use it in a, in a practice. Nice. Uh, we did have, we've, we, I'm not sure if you know, we sell it, a sweet spot training tool at functional tennis called the Sabre and mm -hmm. maybe about, uh, 12, 11 months ago, uh, we were, well, sorry, I wasn't, but Stan tested one in down in Marbella and when people see this video of Stan hitting with it like it's a 37 square inch head and he's crushing the ball with his back and a forehand people are amazed it's the video is unbelievable like people love watching it and when they see him crush it they can't believe it like he's absolutely destroying the ball I think so, I saw uh, this video yeah, yeah yeah I didn't know that that was the the, the the testing but yeah I saw the video it was really funny but yeah he was like 
I think even if he's playing with a spoon, he will be, especially with his back and he's going to be super successful. So <laughs> yeah, very talented yeah. guy for sure. <laughs> Definitely. And so, okay. So the two, two slam champions, uh, Elena and Stan, maybe you can tell us one thing you've learned from Stan that's special from being around them that we wouldn't know. Yeah. I mean, uh, as I mentioned before, very, very competitive guy. I mean, every, even the warm-ups in our case are like when I'm doing the warm-up with him, it's going to be very competitive because, you know, he, he would rather skip those like boring stuff, you know, just all those jogs and stuff, dynamic stretching, obviously he's doing, uh, doing it very, very professionally, but, but, you know, he's always trying to, to put it in a competitive way. So I'm trying always like, he's trying to, to, you know, to, to play with me different games, like a mini tennis with different balls, with, uh, you know, different rules. So very, very competitive, uh, you know, everything that he's doing must be put in a competitive mode. And I think, you know, that's why he's, you know, the, uh, the one super successful tennis player because he really likes to compete. And that's the beauty of, 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 of tennis because, you know, basically in tennis, you, you can compete every uh, single week. So even in his case, at the age of 37, he's still enjoying being on the tournaments. And again, as I said before, it's not about winning and losing. For sure, you know, everybody wants to win, but but in the end of the day is to enjoy the competition, to learn from the defeat and then to move on to the next tournament, to improve, to get better. I think that's 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 what makes them, you know, the great champions. Nice. And what have you learned when you worked with Elena? Elena, first of all, Elena is very, very nice girl, you know, very polite. He respects the, 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 the coaches. She's, you know, very serious, focused on, on every aspect of, of, of their game. Uh, talking about the strength conditioning part, she was really eager to, to improve, to get stronger, to move better. Uh, you know, really, really respectful girl. And, you know, she really enjoys also to, to, to compete, to play at the big stage. She's very calm. Uh, you know, her uh, mentality is, is different to some other players because she's not showing the character maybe too much outside but of course inside she is really burning and, and willing to 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 win so yeah it was very very nice collaboration and i really enjoyed those two years with her nice and also another man you may know i one of the first guys i knew on tour actually was stefan duel yes stefan is a great guy i'm also lucky to to have him around with Elena, we were collaborating uh, really nice, uh, nicely, and and even now uh, he's with Stan for so many years, and and now I'm also lucky to to have him next to me in in Stan's team, and we are really good friends. I really respect his work. I think he's one of the the best, if not the best, physio on tour. So yeah, Stefan is a great guy. We used to post his videos. For those that don't know, Stefan is an ATP tour physio. He's been working as a physio for a long, long time on the tour. Randy yeah. Liu is, we used to post him videos playing when he was with Randy Liu. But I remember going to Wimbledon my first time in functional tennis uniform. And he showed me around the changing rooms and nice. It was really nice. And since then, I haven't got him on the podcast yet. He won't come on because he's too busy probably. But uh, he's been, yeah, he was super nice. So I just wanted to say that. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think, you know, he, he should be a one of, of the guests in your podcast because he's full of knowledge, 
full ex- of experience. So he would be a very, very uh, someone who would, you know, uh, shared a lot of uh, experience with your listeners. So yeah, Stefan is top guy. Give him a nudge next time you see him. Give him a. I will. A, I will. Yeah. <laughs> and okay, so uh, we're all about getting one percent better every day, finding ways to improve. What's your advice to our listeners on how to get one percent better every day? Well, to be, I mean, it's at the end of the day, very simple. To be open for for all the ideas, for all the, uh, the 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 new information that is coming out. I mean, especially today, there are a lot of research, a lot of books, a lot of. Uh, you know, talk to the people, talk to the experienced coaches, try to be open. I had a, the, the conference the other day and I had one question, you know, uh, you know, about some strength conditioning strategies. And, and, and you know, once you have a kind of little experience and, and, and some, some success, everybody's asking you questions, uh, thinking that you have answer on, on every question. But but I was answering to this uh, student that uh, with with you know with the, with the more experience and with more years being on tour, I just have more questions and 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 less answers. So you know we just have to be no matter how success you are, no matter how big is your education, you just have to be open to to improve to 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 to, to get new uh, inputs and and. Test your knowledge, test your new uh, uh, skills in, in your everyday practice. Get, you know, be critical. Uh, try to improve yourself. Learn, read, uh, implement, reflect, uh, be creative. So I think there are many, many ways. We just have to be open for the improvement and then the, the improvement will, will, will come for sure. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. And so what are your plans moving forward? Dario, obviously this book is, or sorry, the, the paper is going to come out. You're going to do a book. Is that the plans? Any other major plans we need to know about? Yeah, that that's the 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 focus now in a, in a research uh, sense. I would like to to you know to to come out with uh, those papers out. I would like to you know to finish the book. I hope by the end of the next year. That's the plan to 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 publish it. So it's uh, it's going to be available for for everyone. And obviously, in my coaching career, to to focus uh, now on 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 my player on Stan. Uh, he's going to play Indian Vals and then we're going to have a little bit of time to to prepare for the clay after the Indian Vals. So that's the next big, big goal to, you know, to get better after the, uh, those weeks uh, to get, you know, ready for the clay. So that's the, the, the short term plan, you know, to to, you know, to make this uh, preparation period as 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 better as possible. Stan still does a bit of work with Pierre. You do work with Pierre. How does this all work together as a team? Is there a big WhatsApp group? Of course, we are in, in contact all the time. Uh, as I said, Pierre is uh, with, with, with Stan for so many years. They did a lot of success together. So obviously, Pierre is, uh, you know, the, the, the mastermind of, of, of the, the, the strength conditioning uh, plan for, for Stan. So we are only always in contact. We are trying to, you know, to, to express ourselves, to, you know, to, to say what we think, you know, how to improve, how to get better. And then, you know, uh, Pierre would put everything together Then we will make the precise plan. As, you know, today we, we had a, a discussion, uh, you know, about uh, the plans for, for March. So at the end of the day, I think that the, 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 especially within the team, the communication is a key. You know, the, the, the better the communication, the better the success uh, is. So 
you know, that, that's something that we are trying to, to, to make sure that we are communicating uh, all the time and that we are on the same page when it comes to, uh, you know, making a good decision for, for, for in this case, for Stan, but for, for the player that, that we are working with. I think that's really important what you said there. It's a good quote. If you want success, like the better the communication, the better the results. So, uh, Mario, thank you very much for jumping on board. Really appreciate it. And yeah, can't wait to read that paper and share it with some of the, the parents who listen here and get them get them on track. Thank you so much, Fabio, again for the invitation. It was a really uh, great to talk to you. And yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, those papers would help some young tennis players in the future. That's the end of the show for today. Thank you so much, Dario, for coming on the show. It was a fascinating conversation, and I'm really looking forward to that research paper and the book. Thank you all for listening to the show as well. Next week on the Functional Tennis Podcast, I speak to 17-year-old Jakob Mensik. Jakob was a former world number two junior and after junior Wimbledon last year, he made the decision to go pro and he's currently top 400 in the world. He talks about his young tennis career, his body breaking down in the Aussie Open final, what he learned from training camps with Novak Djokovic, Czech tennis and more. He's a really interesting chap and I can't wait for you to listen to it. Just a few quick notes before we go. Make sure to follow the show so you get automatically notified about new episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about me or the work we do at Functional Tennis, visit our website at functionaltennis.com. You can also follow the show on Instagram at the Functional Tennis Podcast and with me on Twitter, Fab Mall. This podcast is produced by One Fine Play. James Bishop is the executive producer. Connor Foley is the series producer and editor. I've been your host, Fabio Molle. Thanks for listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Mm-hmm.